blasters and sock bombs aplenty. I've got a sore throat and blisters galore. You want epic stories? I've got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I was at End War. Yes! <laughs> yes! Yeah. Very good! I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Welcome back to Detroit Dart Talk with uh, one of several special End War weekend episodes. Uh, so the game is complete. We're a few days out. We've all returned home. We're trying to recover physically. Uh, you can hear my voice tonight. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, but with me in the digital studio today is myself, Tim. Hey. Eric. Hey, everybody. Happy to tell you all about this. going to be a good And one. we have special guests uh, live from Rochester Institute of Technology. We have uh, Ryan who I believe is the secretary or former secretary, if I'm remembering right. Acting event secretary. Acting event secretary of the RITHVZ Club. We have John, the vice president of RIT's HVZ Club. One of them. Uh, there was a second, but hello. We have the important one. And Liam. <laughs> oh, no. no, we like Nick. <laughs> and uh, lastly, we have Liam, the current president of RIT's HVZ Club with us tonight. Howdy. Good to be here. All right. Have you. Yeah. And also a member of Rochester Radioactive, correct? Yes. Yes. I am the team captain. And well, let's kick it back and point out that I believe it was John is also on the second place team, Flower City Fallout. Yep. Yep. I was I was working as their coach for this semester. Nice. So we have an all-star group from Rochester with us uh, tonight, and uh, we're going to talk to them about all things End War. So the three of us attended End War this year. We were unable to make it to the Foam Pro Tour events because those were our travel days, but we did have a booth at FoamCon. And we attended all five missions of Endor. And it was definitely an event, uh, to say the <laughs> least. Um, you know, by the time this comes out, you know, it, it'll have been talked about quite a bit. And there was good th- good moments. There was not so great moments of it. And uh, we're going to take a look behind the curtain and see what all went into making the largest single HVZ event actually happen. Biggest regularly recurring HVZ in North America. Probably yes. the world. I would I also know I would about that. Our our week long, our fall week long games given where run for its uh, player count. And That's if true. you give me a sec, I'll pull up the actual player count for last fall. Biggest Ooh. single day event. Yeah, biggest invitationals definitely. Yeah, biggest yeah, invitational. Right. I will not fight, but uh, yeah, our fall game had on um, five hundred sixty three players. Wow. Let's start with that. So you have a well established. I dare say popular HVZ club going on at your school. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very interesting. I think one of the big things that we should talk about and, and touch on is how our club is set up to sustain itself. I yeah, think for sure. I think the most accurate count that we have is that the club was started in two thousand and nine. It's a pretty gray area, but somewhere thereabout. It's somewhere back before twenty ten. Just based on our rules video. Yeah, it's far outside of the living oral history of any of the current players and even of the veteran admins. And part of that, it's down to the structure of the people who run it. So we have a club constitution, which basically codifies the quote unquote admin roles. And that is me, president, superficially at the top. What I'm in charge of is 
organizing logistics, making sure the game is approved and that we're in good graces with the school. But the real stars are our vice presidents, and they are in charge of all of our game design um, and game execution. So we have two vice presidents. Jonathan is currently one of them. Um, the other right now is named Nick. Uh, he couldn't be on the podcast tonight, but he's a he, good guy. As I said, um, vice presidents, they're in charge of coming up with the games, coming up with the core concepts of missions, fleshing out the mechanics, and there's there's a whole process for that. And then once they are done with you know all of their writing, then they instruct all of our moderators on how to run their jobs. For our week longs, we end up with like three-ish versions of all of the information, three or four. We end up with the, the raw brains dump, which is just where we're like... For missions. What was that? Oh yeah, for missions, for our week-long missions. We end up with the raw brains dump, which is just, you know, okay, mission ideas, get them down, like put the barest bit of meat on them so that it is legible when we try to make it into an actual thing. Bullet points, photos, scrawled. Yeah, MS Paint over screenshots of the campus. Nice. Uh, on Google Maps. Like, that that sort of level of just mm -hmm. sketching things out. Then we end up with, we take that, rewrite it uh, coherently for people who haven't been involved with the whole process. We rewrite that. That's our mod and admin mission document. That has every mission-relevant piece of information required to run the mission. It has hold timers. It has every objective location. It has, we have, um, players can purchase uh, upgrades for the night with in-game currency. So we have the list of what will be available for each team by night and the prices in that in-game currency. We have a list of all the props we need to bring for that night. It is literally everything. We could hand someone this document and they would be able to put on an HVZ event. Mm -hmm. And then we also have two more documents. One of them is the mission texts document. We have a site, hvz.rit.edu, and when you're playing in the game, you can log on to the site, and you will only be able to see mission texts flagged for your team. So humans will only see human mission texts. Zombies will only see zombie mission texts. And so we can write up different mission texts for each team. So that's another document, is night-by-night night, human text, zombie text. And then the last thing is story forms, which go up earlier in the evening before the actual mission takes place, um, just as like a, hey, here's a teaser of what you're going to do. And so we have one final document that is human and zombie story forms by night. So that's Brainstump, Modern Admin, Mission, and Story. That's four documents that we finish with. And that's like assuming that we don't make anything else. And that's why we have two vice presidents. Yeah, sounds like you guys do a lot. Yeah. Like a lot yeah. to prepare. That's awesome to hear. So that's sort of an overview of the vice president role. Then we've got secretary. We have regular weekly meetings to sort of flush all of these ideas out um, and plan. And during those meetings, you know, you do regular secretary duties of like taking minutes and stuff. But during the game, and this is what uh, Ryan stepped into the role of for End War, they're in charge of briefing all of our moderators. So they take the admins and mod write up. That is, you know, that's our master document. And what the secretary will do is they break that into, to varying degrees, basically flashcards of what each moderator, what they actually have to be doing if they're a uh, an objective mod. 
Uh, and, and Ryan will be able to talk about his experience with that for End War. And the final part is our treasurer. And they're in charge of keeping the books, keeping the dollar dues, and making sure we have the props that we need to put on the game. They deal with, minus the president, that the treasurer probably deals with the most RIT bureaucracy. Yeah. In the uh, form of like expense approval forms, design submissions, if we want to get new shirts, we denote our special zombies by giving them different colored shirts with the name written on them. Fun fact, even if it's an existing design, you have to get that reapproved yeah. every yeah. single time. Welcome to RIT. So the, the treasurer deals with that. The rest of us are very, very grateful that they take care of that. So... I've told people on the podcast before, I'm relatively new to HVZ. Uh, I did not even get into the Nerf hobby until right before the pandemic hit. So, oh you know, I've only been to really a handful of invitationals, but, you know, I was able to hit some really good ones in some really renowned campuses too, talking about like Athens, Ohio, home of the first two end wars. And so I cut my teeth on what our group calls Ohio style HVZ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what I'm hearing with a lot of the little details you guys have already thrown out is that you guys have a completely kind of different origin story your clubs your club is not a new club it's an established club and you've got your own way of doing things now most folks who have been doing hvz for a while know that you know end war started in ohio at athens you know that was its original home so a lot of its rule set came from that established ohio hvz scene so i i'm already kind of sensing that there may be some conflicts of working with a team that has their rule set coming from a different region than yours. So we like to call that one foreshadowing. <laughs> so like what were some of the things like when the end war group approached RIT or did you approach the end war group? Like how did end war at RIT come about? What was that process like? Question. That start to end war at RIT that I think I was the first contact with that about a, basically a year ago, my friend, Justin Dangler, who runs Rochester foam dart league, he called me up and said, Hey, guess what? Drac really wants to come to RIT for end war. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. And he wants to bring, you know, foam con and end war and foam pro tour. He, wa- he all wants to do it in Rochester. And that was sort of the start to it. And like Justin and Drac, they're friends. They've been contacts for a while. And he sort of communicated that. And we, we eventually set up a discord server to start planning things and bringing everybody who's involved on board. So that was our first interaction with him. The uh, the matter of marrying rule sets. Jonathan, do you want to talk a little bit about that? So, okay, we kind of talked about this in the like live at PhoneCon recording, but we had questions for RIT administration of Endward uses pool noodles. Can we do that? So there were these base questions of what parts of the game are we going to be allowed to port over? Um, right. And the answer ended up being pretty much everything, especially just because this was a one-off event. We weren't like asking to bring this into our regular week-long games. It was a one-off event during the summer. With no students around. Yeah, with very, very few passers-by around, it made it a lot easier to get that done. So does that mean noodles and shields are not a normal part of your uh, gameplay? They're not. In our games, if you hit someone with a melee weapon, you get banned from the game. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we have very, very different specials. And... We can go more into that later if you want, but suffice to say, very different specials, which meant that a lot of the stuff that Endwar brings that's different from RITHBZ, we had to double check on. Yeah. 
We just like totally weren't sure. But also, of course, special zombies are a lever you can pull as a game designer. And Absolutely, yeah. But it's also one that the players expect you will pull. Yes. And so it was very, very interesting to see the different approach to specials because in our week-long games, we are much, much more... Like, we, we keep account of how many special shirts we're going to have available each night. Whereas End War, it was, here's a big box of pool noodles. Grab one. Right? Which is not... Neither of those is inherently better or worse. Right? End War... For for short games where you don't have during the day play, you don't have it spread out over a week for there to be tags happening. Like you need to get the tag numbers up. So like there there are reasons that End War does what it does, but it's a very different doing than RIT people are used to. And so we spent a not insignificant amount of time wrapping our heads around. Okay, we keep saying tanks. RIT tanks are half stun timer socks only. We need to just throw that idea out when we're talking about how many how many specials we're using, right? We we can't go into planning these missions and say there will be tanks around because because like our our understanding of what that what, of what those words mean just like doesn't match. It's a completely different lever. Yeah, we ran into that at Grove City when we went there for the first time. They were, I think Mike has said that they kind of built off of uh, the New York scene, especially the RIT scene with their original rule set. And so they were calling, they were saying tanks. And we're like, wait, why do your tanks run? <laughs> it just threw <laughs> us for a loop too. Uh, and they had an equivalent, but it was a completely different name. It was a juggernaut. And yeah. so, it, yeah, it's always interesting to see those regional differences, but it definitely throws a wrench into just simple conversations about the game when you have to be like, wait, no, no, end war tank, not, a, not, not RIT tank and stuff yeah. like that for sure. So, so what we ended up doing was basically just saying, okay, um, a lot of, almost all of RIT's special zombies are either too complex to reliably dump on people who, you know, the, the end war staff raised the point that for a lot of people, end war is their first HVZ experience or their only HVZ experience. And so dumping some of RIT's specials where for RIT's games, we have that institutional knowledge of, we have players who've played every week long, every year that they've been here at RIT. So even if you're a new player that doesn't know what's going on, you can see the older players going, ah, shit, and running away and know, oh, I should probably do that too. <laughs> the learning curve is also a lot to develop as as a lot of students at RIT are four or five year programs. So you get to play between 10 and a dozen games, you know, just, just as a consequence of being in the area. So you get to learn over time as well if there are things you don't understand, whereas then where you kind of got to get right the first try. Yeah, so yeah. we we ended up um, deciding to go almost entirely with End War specials, which... When you say End War specials, you mean like the historic rule sets where yeah. specials have been used since, what, 2017? Right, so Noodle Zombies, Shield Zombies, which RIT doesn't have any of those, Tanks, which we have something that's called a tank, but it, like I said, it's a completely different thing. We have Spitters at RIT, but our Spitter rules are different in some key ways, um, namely how humans have to behave once they've been hit by a spitterball. And 
like the the only new specials that we busted out were the security drones in missions four and five and that was like a mission specific thing great idea by the way we love those it was just not it was not effective mission four had its own problems um yeah Yeah, many other reasons but those were a really cool idea we actually think we talked about those and thought those were one of the more clever ideas unique unique things that had come up yeah so those those are actually pretty directly based on um something that we use religiously in our games which is something called a witch um and that's a, a witch is basically any NPC, like moderator or admin played thing. And it has a specific behavioral like rule set, which is they can be stunned by darts and socks. They have a stun timer of 10 seconds. They can tag anyone, humans or zombies, and they can have mission specific behaviors. And 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 really they're they're a lever that you that game designers are able to use to have NPCs that behave in different ways or you can use them as a balancing tool to break up hordes because, you know, they can run around and tag zombies. Usually they don't have any way of dealing with witches. Apart from running away, of course. Apart from running away. Turn 180 degrees, run as fast as you can. Very, very entertaining as a moderator playing a witch. Yeah. And that that sort of mechanic as this, like, you know, it's an NPC that has certain abilities that can impact the game that is, is, is an objective. That was... You can you can draw a pretty straight line between our witches and the uh, the security drones. Critical difference being that zombies could put a hand on them in the eight, yeah. in the end war rules in order to disable them for ten seconds. If I remember correctly. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't a one to one port, but it was very very heavy inspiration. I actually would love to just segue into another one of the critical differences. The between end war rules and and your rules, which was something we everyone was waiting with bated breath, which was the 130 FPS uh, cap. Can you add anything about that? Because we didn't know about that for a very long time. I think it was a point of rumor. Yeah, yeah. Discussion. 100 FPS is better. Fight me. Um. It 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 is it is. So this is where John and I basically had you know extensive questioning of our rule set. Was basically like, okay, where did where did all of these rules come from? You know, you could you could plausibly create arguments about the safety related nature of some of these. And we essentially, as far as we can tell, the main rule that is driven by outside of the club is the FPS cap. And that's driven by RIT's uh, Uh, global risk management department. Yes, which is in the high tower of RIT not getting screwed. But yeah, so they had basically... In previous conversations with past admins, they basically said, all right, this is the FPS that you can use. And and that's derived from, you know, negotiations with previous admins. We went and we were like, hey, we have this event that we're hosting that the participants are used to this set of rules, this set of conditions. Can we can we do this? And they said, our main concerns are, all right, you're shooting at a higher power for higher power things like what Jonathan is involved in and like what we're involved with in with, with uh foam pro tour stuff is you know where I protection and they were like hey yeah you can you can run at that fps and we actually got cleared for 135 just to make it a little bit easier when you're chronographing somebody's like okay if somebody's got a few outliers that's technically within the limits we basically said yeah if you if you require eye protection for players you can run at 130 doesn't matter did and they base it on some sort of energy limit or or is it just they pulled 135 out of out of thin air we specifically requested 135 so our actual 
like actual FPS cap that we are allowed to pass blasters in for our regular games is 110. Yeah. For the same reasons, so that you can do an average of 100. And so we basically, when we wrote the proposal to them, when we wrote our email, we said, hey, look, people are expecting 130. We check FPS using an average. Are you guys okay with us doing 135 so that people can bring the kit that they are that they've already set up that they're already used to running they don't have to do any tweaks to it can we do that and do you have any stipulations we are more than happy to work with you to figure out what's necessary to get this higher fps cap cleared for this one event and they said yeah like uh we we basically explained the reasoning behind 130 fps being the broader standard that being like you go much higher than that and you start really needing ipro for everyone within shooting distance and he said look like generally hvzs don't require eye protection but we understand that this is something that you consider pretty risky and we are more than happy to make eye protection happen if that's what you want and they said yes that is what we want go ahead nice i i think honestly that was a good call i know there are some legacy reasons we'll call them for you know not requiring eye pro for a lot of places but tradition yeah well there you know and there's some we won't get into the weeds of that but like in our club it's you know what i tell people before any of our games is you know if i you know eye protection is technically not required but if you don't wear it we will publicly shame you for it (laughs) like like Mm -hmm. it's it's all but required for us even though we our club doesn't officially require it but i'm kind of glad to just see finally someone break that trend and be like no it's required for this event like i I actually really liked seeing that yeah i've also started pushing for our regular games to just make free ipro an option for players some people really don't want to get hit in the eye and so we have a box of safety glasses and i have started pushing for us to bring that to every registration session that we do just so that it is an option for players yeah and and to us just going to a higher power it's it's just we don't want to we don't want to have anything bad happen yeah for sure. Yeah. You never you never really realize it until you have the incident happen and then you're like, oh, it that would have been good to have on hand, even if it's optional, even if you're not fully requiring it. I think having it for people is a very responsible and smart call. So I applaud you guys for that. Yeah, cheers. I'm also very pleased to report just tangentially on that conversation. Uh, so I, I was manning one of the chronograph stations for nearly the entirety of FoamCon, and I'm very happy that I could I could probably count on one hand of the number of people that I even had you know cross the chrono threshold. You know, almost everybody that showed up was was well within the limit and, and very happy to be there. You know, not not looking to you know crank out ridiculous numbers. Not trying to nose it in. Like I had a couple of uh, I had a couple of FDLs that were right on the cap, but I think you can expect that to stay there. You know, everybody else was mostly airing low and didn't really seem to mind all that much. So I'm very I'm very happy we didn't get any complaints or any uh, any negativity on that point. Yeah, Chrono, you know, at FoamCon, it, it kind of got backed up a bit. I know yes. some of them were having errors. I know we we lent you two Chronos. <laughs> Which we were very, very happy about. We just were like, wait, we have Chronos in our boxes we brought to FoamCon here. Thank you again. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So it was glad to help out. But, you know, besides just the line, which is kind of unavoidable when you have hundreds of players coming to register, I thought the chronoing went smoothly once you got through that process. Because I, I went ahead and did it early during FoamCon, and I had no real issues getting everything chronoed in and got back to the booth, and it wasn't all that long overall. So it was a, it yeah. was a, you guys were, you guys were working pretty well. And I, I know there were some, some of the end war staff was also doing chrono at the same time. So 
seemed to go pretty smoothly. You get into a flow of like, can I have the next person here? All right. Give me three readings over this chronograph, please. And just cycling through that. Yeah. Um, yep. Because we, we chrono any modded blaster for our regular games. So like that is a thing that our club is very used to doing. Good. Yeah. All righty. I, right. I think that's a good, good amount of talk about the FPS cap. <laughs> yeah. Where do we want to head next? Um, yeah, I think, John, do you want to talk about our uh, breakdown of our game design process for End War versus our usual games? We've kind of talked our our process already a little bit. Yeah. yeah so what did you guys um, encounter with the, with the End War coming in and doing the game design different than your club might do? So our club, one of the big, big things that was stressed to me last year as I was getting up to speed on how to be a VP was mechanics first you can always make a story fit you can always write a story to fit whatever your mission is just get the mechanics solid and sure enough whenever admin teams have deviated from that we've seen pretty serious issues that usually happens in our invitationals which are kind of thrown together in a less organized fashion just because most of our effort goes into our week longs so our invitationals are a little more janky and we tend to see very swingy either very zombie sided or very human sided but there are levers you can pull to adjust that on the floor. So me- mechanics first, wrangle a story over it. And our rule set gives us a lot of levers that we can pull ahead of time and one or two that we can pull during the mission. One of the things that helps us only need those one or two during the mission is the fact that we do individual stuns rather than wave respawns. Um, that kind of limits the effects of... Li- limits the possibility of having a whole horde all decide to charge simultaneously several hundred people crashing into another hundred people. Like, that takes a whole lot of effort on the zombie side to pull off, and it still does happen, and it's very impressive. But yeah, like, our, our rule set, we, we can design in different ways because of that. And the other thing is our, our specials, we have a whole lot of very distinct player specials, and those are the biggest levers that we can pull during the night. Is, you know, we have one... We have one called the Jackal that's just half stun timer. And that's a great tool for you want to make someone feel special without actually screwing with the game balance. So you give them a Jackal shirt. Kind of the RIT version of like the pool noodle or shield, right? It's like something that is in the grand scheme of the game, not as consequential as something like a tank, perhaps, but is still something that's going to improve player morale and is still something that will get the zombies up and uh, up and excited because that's that's the best part of being a zombie, right? And the players know it. Right. So it's, it's Perks for the zombies, right? Uh, you know, shorter stun timer, ammo restrictions. Um, you know, a spitter ball, which I've heard the the actual zombie side of the spitter mechanic is the same. You know, throw ball, hit human, we. Um, but uh, the you know the player side, our spitter balls cause you to have to kneel for a minimum of thirty seconds, and you can keep fighting all you want during that time. Uh, but it really forces human groups to decide whether they want to leave someone behind. Um, whereas End War, it's ball tap, um, which is a, a very different thing. You know, End War, you can touch the ball at any time and be spittered, whereas RIT, it's just first hit or ground, and then it's dead. So there, there's differences there, but it, all this to say, we have different levers that we can pull that I find more effective for adjusting balance and morale in my experience. Although I do want to throw the caveat on there that that is quite possibly just because I'm not used to the end war special. But anyway, all that to say, end war planning process. 
They had a story in mind. What mechanics should we put with it? Yeah. And it very much stemmed from there were certain deliverables, certain like overall things that, you know, I think I think it came from from outside of our bubble of game design. Um, There were a few things. Right. So the first one that I think I'd go to is is we had sort of a mandate to have a hard cap on how many people could survive mission one. There was also sort of a general story outline that was put together before really much game design was done and it 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 got tricky because that so so going back to this discussion about specials for invitationals what we would do say we have an invitational of 200 people maybe 10 maybe 15 of them are are volunteer ozs and i know end war's done Troll yeah, squad. Troll squad in the start. Um, what we we've never we've never really played with that sort of idea. We just use buff the hell. Yeah, out we of buff them. the hell out of the zombies. So low stun timer, lots of specials, and that's pretty much our recipe for making zombies. Um, so you know, stun timer would could probably be anywhere in the uh, one minute to thirty second range, and we'd have probably five if if we have 10 ozs probably five of them being tanks and maybe one spitter which reminder tanks sock only yeah and half stun timer and the stun timer is already real yeah. short you can also yeah and and what that would do is you have you have these tanks that are cruising along if they are all together that means that a human group has to be really coordinated and really prepared with having however many socks ready to go so they're able to cruise in hit the humans, potentially get some tags, and then they have a shorter stun timer. And they're able to repeat that very quickly. And what happens is, because we have a set number of special shirts out, we're less likely to have a snowballing number of zombies. Um, What we've seen in past invitationals is, you know, there's other levers you can pull. So like ammo cap restrictions, there's one in particular that I experienced as a human player, where the rule was, you can carry six darts total. So I was like, all right, I've got a hammer shot and one extra dart. And we started that that mission started with I think 10, 10 zombies, and it ended with one human. Yeah, six darts was a little harsh. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that I think I was moderating that invitation. <laughs> um, so I just got to laugh. And then cry. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily, you know, a foolproof way of doing things. But the point is, is that you you buff the you buff the zombies in order for them to get tags. What we had to do for end war was mission one. We had to have a hard cap on how many people could get out and some information for people who weren't there. Basically, what that meant was humans had a multi-pass, which is a business, a printed business card sort of thing with a set of five, I believe, five or six um, characters in it. Yeah. They had to go around campus, find uh, locations where they could get those characters punched out by moderators. Each moderator could do their own character and then pass them along. Then they have to find, they basically have to get all five characters punched out and then go visit the... I forget what it was called, but it basically was just the end location, which was Drak and it uh, was, Trent Jake. It was gate six, right? Gate, so we had yeah, gate, gates gate one, two, three, four, five, and then gate six was entrance to some city where there was safety. Right, right. And if you didn't do this, a meteor storm 
would come in the night and blast you. The threat of meteor storm was a great motivator. I thought mm-hmm. it was awesome because we we didn't know what that meant. Like, were they going to put a time limit? And if you didn't make it or do something, you were automatically turned or or what? You know, that, they're just all hypothesis. So that was a good uh, like a good way to set it up, even though we had to like pull up the mission on our phones, which was understandable and kind of read between the lines. It it created some some good tension and anticipation of unknown, which was, was a good a good setup that was enjoyable. Right. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that the overall setup was fun because, oh boy, the end of the mission was a time. Yeah, the the end of the, that was a mission where I had a lot of fun until the end. Uh, and I think that touches on something you've actually already said, where RIT, if I'm understanding you right, if you want to up the kill count, you make your zombie players a little stronger and you let the players do that for you mm-hmm. whereas i know from a player point of view getting to mission you know gate six and that quad and then seeing just this crowd of humans continue to build up and people who got there first not be saved and had their card taken it became very demoralizing like like from a from a enjoyment of hvz point of view like after a few times i was just getting angry and i started the profanity started streaming and it was like this is dumb. Like we got here first. Yeah. Why is why is our group not being taken? This is stupid. Blah 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 blah. And then on top of that, we had the announcement of oh, and if you get saved, you can now be a zombie for the rest of this mission, which just compounded the difficulty. Uh, and I think that call was the start of a lot of frustrations that people had throughout the weekend. Uh, but again, up until that point. I was having a blast. I was really having fun. And our group was hounded by zombies pretty much the whole time. Uh, But even with that, you know, relentless kind of, we always had to be on our guard, but that, that was fun HVZ. And it wasn't until it seemed like we had to then fight the, the game itself. It, It was the game design itself hitting us that it was like, Oh, this isn't really that fun right now. And and the biggest the biggest concern for me, I always want a fun game. But more than a fun game, I want a safe game. And yeah. having yeah. having that final objective in Pi Quad was a big mess up on our part. Um, that is not a good quad to funnel five hundred players into. And very few places are. Yeah. Oh, and and I'm Pi Quad in particular is not yeah. a good one, just I'm... because of how many gardens are there. Yeah. Curbs. And so after mission one, we completely changed around the objective locations for mission two. Gotcha. I am um, getting corrected in the chat. Mission one, we had very little zombie contact overall until the end. Mission two is where we were hounded. I am it, getting this it wasn't, a little conflated. It wasn't that small, though, because we saw somebody get turned. We saw like a, a an unaligned, let's say, um, couple. Oh, yeah. We saw it happen. Yeah, they were like just uh, in that like distance where they they didn't pull back and hold with us and they weren't with the group ahead. They were in the middle of this like fairly large open walkway and they just got got. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty it it set a it set a a good tense mood, at least to be, you know, be on your toes right from that moment. Yeah. So. so, All right. Here's actually a question that that I don't know the answer to. John, do you know who? So that was the, the, the element of saved humans being able to go and functionally, it's sort of an evolution of the troll squad. That was not part of our, our original Correct. game design, right? 
Correct. That was not. Okay. The original game design was they would deband and be safe until the start of Machine yeah. 2. Um, um, I do not. I, I think I know I who have, made the call. I have seen and who I made I the don't... call on video. Okay. <laughs> Someone's GoPro caught the, the call being made at first. All right. All right. If you have it on video, then you can go ahead and say it, but I do not recall who made the call well enough to feel confident saying it. We wouldn't want to point, speculate. Point is, point is, is that we... It was not the original intent. We won't talk about it. Who did what here? Because we don't mm-hmm. want to get into that. Uh, I will just say the, there are videos of people's GoPros already on YouTube, and in one of those of Mission One, it's very clear who makes the call. And Drac yeah. even goes, "Ooh, that just got harder." So it's out there, <laughs> but we won't focus on that. Gotcha. But that was a definite, uh, definite kick in the pants yeah. of us for being like, "Oh, wow." Yeah, this and is- I. I- I, yeah. I ran into, so at the time I had my headband on, I was helping the zombies out. I had went and retrieved a, two boomer cones. We, in our, in our club, we, traffic we, cones. Yeah, we got big old traffic fires. cones that we put tape on. The, those are our boomers. They're mobile respawn points. They're pretty standard. You know, Envor does their like whole wavy thing. I that think boomer is. Oh my gosh. I never yeah, knew. I always yeah. wondered. I never knew. Yeah. Um. <laughs> For this was sort of one of our one of our more direct uh, special ports. I guess we just forgot about it when we were talking about it a minute ago. But yeah, I grabbed two traffic cones. I'm like, all right, zombies need a buff. I'll be a boomer. I'll hand one of these off to somebody else. And I was going to go and and regroup with the zombies I was helping with. And then I ran into S9, which is it, it's a group of veteran human players that, that I was a part of from the start. And I was like, did you guys, did you guys get turned? Why are you head, wearing headbands? And they, they said, no, we're, uh, we're, we're playing zombie. The guy who we, we were one of the first groups out and we did it in like 30 minutes. It was insane. Oh yeah. Welcome to S9. Um, <laughs> but I was like, all right, cool. At this point, you know, I, I, I had my radio off. I was, I was running around with players. Actually, no, I didn't have my radio off. It just, you know, there wasn't much going on there. And I, I went with them and we and we started racking up the tags. We, you know, we, we found groups of solo players and eventually we wrapped around to Pyquot where lo and behold, there was a lot of chaos happening. So point is, is that we did not really know that 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 call was going to be made and that there wasn't going to be a cap on how many safe humans could go out of zombies. You know, I, I think if you were to add a little bit of nuance being like, all right, the first 50 humans who get saved can go out as zombies and then the rest just deband and wait until the next mission. I think that could have worked, but no, it was just everybody who got out. So that turned into a time. Yeah. And as players, we were also not told to leave the quad if we didn't want to play zombie. So several, mm-hmm. many humans were, you know, sitting around on the, the raised garden bed walls, debanded, just watching. I know I was one of them because I didn't know where the rest of my squad was at the time because we didn't all get saved at the same time. Oh, yeah. Shout out and... to Diggy who made a, made a sick <laughs> play coming flying in to take us out. And we were yeah. like, oh, hey, bud, what's going on? Yeah, there was there was definitely some fun zombie play. But then, kind of as we you said, like, that moment, by the there was a lot of running back and forth with large groups of people having to try and chase the objective around. The objective, in this case, being Drac. And I know from a personal side, I was standing with some of the Ohio HVZ veterans 
you know, the guys who've been to all the end wars and some of them were even on the end war staffs in the past. And they, they were sitting there going, this is not, this is getting dangerous. Like they saw it too. And mm-hmm. sure enough, I think the first medic call I saw of the day happened then where someone running took a tumble and, and I believe they were okay. Blast. Yeah. And I believe that that person was okay at the, in the end, but it was one of those things where, you know, we, we started seeing like, Oh, there's, there's large crowds of people running and that's that's kind of always a bad sign. You don't really want to force large groups to run when you have one of these big events, if you can help it. But yeah, so end of mission one, I think everyone's in agreement that that kind of ended up a little out of control. Yeah. And and that, like I said, that led us to completely reevaluate the hidden objectives around campus for mission two to make sure that they were in open areas. Gotcha. Um, and... Uh, the the one thing that we missed because we had a very limited time to adjust everything before mission two started was the final spot for mission two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was intense. So let's let's kind of well to walk any listeners through mission two, and you guys can correct me if I misinterpreted something. But we had to go and find well, uh, hey, four. Hey, Alex, r- yes, r- real quick uh, before we move on to mission two. Yeah, was there like an actual? pop culture theme that mission one was supposed to uh, oh, yeah. be we've been debating to... this because <laughs> uh, that's a good question i'm not sure we were kind think... of just going for generic sci-fi and that was kind of mission one was kind of framed as okay so the big bad big bad evil guy behind all of this is the salesman which um there's a wonderful music video uh inspired by the scp fandom called anomalies it's wonderful i highly recommend you go listen to it uh, and watch it because the animation is gorgeous but the character who's doing the singing in this in this video is the salesman who's this scp entity who just makes very vague deals that are sometimes funny and sometimes deadly and um you know the the voice for the salesman is sort of like this why hello there Welcome to my planet. You know, you can find safety right in here right after you go through these five checkpoints and check in at the gate. Sounds like you voiced the video for that. I did not. No? I I was not involved in making the videos, but I did provide, Liam and I worked together to provide like a idea for who the salesman's character would be. But that, that was the idea of this like sleazy guy is like, hey, you can find safety if you're good enough, and then it turns out that he's just a massive dick and wants to turn you all into his uh, his servants, and that's what you figure out in later missions. I mean, like, story-wise figure out. Uh, gameplay-wise, you know, zombie's bad. Yeah, we, we totally thought it was a Loki reference, or at least I yeah, did. I did, yeah. too. I'm, I'm glad that connection was made by multiple people. That, uh, that's, that's good. That's good. We, I, I also had heard at one point, and I don't remember where, that this w- was a previous final stand that you had done, like the basic infrastructure. Is that true? Not that R-I-T-H-B-Z. I've heard that claim about a previous end war, but I, I don't know for certain. But I don't recall this being... It hasn't been an R-I-T extraction since I've been here. The bones of it do sound like a final mission, though. Like, you know, do the do the things at these locations and then get to here and you'll be safe. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was our take on uh, on day one as well, on both missions on day one, is they seemed particularly complex and challenging for, mm-hmm. for introductory missions. Yeah. I think, again, the core of that is we 
trying to go for this objective of having a hard cutoff of how many humans could survive it. Part of it was that, and frankly, the other part was us RIT people were really not interested in having the hard cutoff matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we weren't opposed to there being somewhat complex mission. Gotcha. You want to roll it into mission two then? Yeah, so mission two, we had to find symbols, and there were four symbols, I believe, and there were, if I'm remembering, six potential locations for those symbols. But two of them were bad. You didn't want to go near them. Uh, but you didn't know until you got close, which I love. I love when there's like the, it might be here, but you might run into something bad here. And we found, we were not given the actual locations. We were just told there's six locations out there. Go. So we started, you know, just walking around trying to find them. And we, we found the first one, I remember. And one of the guys in our group, who was it was his first HVZ Invitational you know, he's he's not really in in the nerf scene at all. He he's my buddy. He instantly was like, "That's the Star Wars language. Yep. I, I know this." And he had it like on his phone, <laughs> and so he's pulling his phone up and he's okay. Let me see it. And he circled it and he was keeping track of them. And he you know he was recognizing him pretty 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 right off too. So he kind of became a guy we leaned on throughout that mission. And if I'm remembering properly, we actually didn't find the others we ran into humans who already had yeah i don't recall i was one of the objective mods for that and i did not see y'all yeah we ran into enough humans who had already been there until to the point where we got all four and we started sending that out and like we had like a group chat for our airbnb so we posted it in our discord group chat so that if if andy went out you know again we were all protect andy protect andy but we're like if he goes out we need to have these symbols and we started telling the other people what the symbols were and stuff and i remember the the biggest thing was we had a night mission on a campus that no one was really familiar with and it's it's enough yeah, so we got a, we got quite a bit kind of turned around and, you know, where do we need to go? And there was definitely a few different people in our group who were like, no, it's this way. No, it's this way. No, it's this way. And uh, we, we eventually got there after being just hounded by what I think was the main zombie horde, at least a good portion of them for most of the mission. Um, and just a quick segue, we'll talk about this more in our story you know, recap episode, but I was so proud of Mike uh, taking up a command, kind of just shouting out orders, and us just, we were effective. Those zombies could not touch us, no matter what they tried to do. So I was really proud of how our squad operated. And eventually, we came into the final objective, which you've already touched on, wasn't necessarily the best location for the sheer number of people that were coming in. And as I'm remembering... We came in from an unexpected direction, is what I'm recalling. Oh, were you the group that I told to move? (laughs) No, we came in from the side, and we got instantly pushed up against the building, and there were a lot of people running with us that were not people we knew. We had just picked up a lot of humans, and a lot of people were really panic mode about getting tagged Mm -hmm. and at that point we were kind of getting up to that corner and we were getting just i mean i'm a big guy i'm over six feet tall and i was getting smashed up into the wall of the building and having to like yell at people to like chill out calm down 
I think we had a, a, a that was where we had a bit of an incident with two players getting a little heated with each other. And yeah, that was one of another many stops. They got called to the game at that point. And I'm going to just, if it's okay, tell you kind of what I experienced. And yeah, then I would like to hear it from your, from the mod side who was there. And just so we can get a full picture. So from my experience, we get, we get up to this corner. Uh, two guys get into, into it. The game is kind of called to a stop at that point. We're all taking a knee or lean against a wall or whatever. We're waiting. And then we're told you have to go down this corridor. You have to, even though the objective was right next to us, we were told you have to go this way. And we were pushed down that corridor under attack from zombies. We got to the end of that corridor and the game was stopped again for some reason. And then when it was restarted, it was us in a courtyard surrounded on all sides by zombies and the moderators were saying you can't run towards the objective except for i believe they were telling us 10 at a time and we were being held there and the game restarted and that's where we ran into i personally got tagged out well i sort of got tagged out there i was tagged out by a player who respawned way too close. Let's save those for later, if you don't mind. Yeah, we won't get into it, yeah. but there was some rules issues going on. And for me, I was so kind of frustrated with a bunch of other stuff that was happening during the holds that instead of arguing the call, I just left and went over and had a talk with uh, one of the indoor moderators. Okay. Uh, and I, at that point, did not see how the rest of the mission played out. Right. Tim or Eric, did you have anything, or does that sound pretty accurate to what you guys were encountering? That that's pretty accurate. Um, you know, it it was still really chaotic, and it seemed like some parts of the moderator staff didn't understand, or like it, it seemed like certain parts of the moderator staff only knew like what their specific thing was. Like we we got different instructions, like when we were queuing up to go towards the portal versus what the person inside the portal was expecting us to do and like even before that when we were queuing up there was still a lot of like you know hoarding and and pushing and almost like mob mentality a little bit it was absolutely mob mentality at that point the part of the group that i was in was so tight that people were just completely touching each other i mean it was just you were everyone was pressed against each other and they were pressed up against a wall and it was a blob line working very slowly towards the objective whenever they'd yeah. let another group in. Yeah. This was the point where I actually dipped out of the mission because I had my uh, 14-year-old son with me and it was to the point where I was getting concerned of getting trampled. Yeah. So we yeah. we dipped out after trying to move our way in towards the portal. Yeah, and I, I so I was there. I was a roaming moderator at the time. I don't, John, John and... Ryan, I'm not sure if you guys were. I'm not sure where you guys were during that. Um, well, I was also a roaming mod with that. Okay. And, uh, I showed up shortly after the uh, the major game hold to look for the missing player. Yeah, and when I got there, I, the setup was not wasn't necessarily what we'd envisioned. No, I think. it wasn't. Um, I think we what well, we were in, and I again, I'm. Um, now, to be fair, I think yeah. that may have been obvious because mm-hmm. I don't know that the spot that was chosen was necessarily inherently bad. I think maybe because th- this was one of the ones where you said you had done some on the fly. Yes. Location change. We moved stuff. it from I'm not sure if you guys can imagine if going down the path away from the quad that it ended up in. We basically moved the objective from 
a crossroads to the entrance to, of a quad. And that change was to basically bring it into, and this is ultimately probably faulty, but bring it into a more, more blocked off area. So it was not visible from the outside of where it was. Well, the, the other issue was the quad that we were initially going to put it in, which was a much more grassy quad, is currently completely blocked off due to construction. And we did not find that out until approximately a week before the game. Now, which quad yeah. did this mission happen at? I'm actually looking. Yeah, so uh, if you look if you look for Soul Human Hall, so, sorry, Soul Human Hall, yeah, it's one of the high-rise dorm buildings that is at RIT. That's where it ended way, up. I have thoughts down. on RIT's maps that I would like to share. <laughs> oh, the printed maps? That's what I'm All looking at. All of them. Every official RIT map. Except for the digital one. The digital one is, has the correct orientation. The digital one does have the correct orientation. Unfortunately, the site is hot garbage. <laughs> so there's just not a good map solution. And that did not help navigating this mission that took place on a strange campus at night after only one prior mission to get used to things. And then we were sending you over to dorms, which we hadn't done in mission one. Anyway, rant over. So back to the initial sort of like, where do we put this objective? If we're all looking at Google Maps, and I'll try to describe this as best I can to listeners at home, RIT dorms is situated on the east side of campus. There is a series of four high-rises that are on the easternmost side of those dorm areas. The quad, the courtyard. Yeah, there's a courtyard that is in front of each of those high rises. The quad that we ended up having the mission to final objective in is the Soul Human Hall quad. So if you look at Soul Human Hall, it's the quad box uh, to the west of it. So I think on the RIT 2021 campus map, that's called East Quad. Yeah. Um, and nobody calls it that, that except name. maybe Campo. Right. Um, and even camp, even campus security will know what you mean if you say soul human quad. Yeah. So that's where it ended up being. I'm going to be totally honest. That was my call to be like, all right, let's just put it up there. And I deeply regret not putting it somewhere else. To, to take some of the blame off your shoulders, you were not the only person who looked at the mission locations. Yeah. For instance, you asked me to double check the mission locations, and I glanced over them and said, cool, looks good. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking, uh, quad, large open area. And yeah. did not consider, ah, but enclosed entrance. Yeah, the initial concept for this mission was to have it in the Kate Gleason Hall quad, which if you look on Google Maps, it, it looks like it's wide open, it's grassy, there's not a lot of stuff going on in it. Unfortunately, there is construction going on there. So we had to redo it really quick. And that led to a lot of bad stuff happening. There was people running far too fast. There was very tight quarters. It was very dark. There was a lot of cover for zombie players to hide in. And it got extraordinarily chaotic. And like, I don't, I don't know. I think the... It's sort of it's sort of a cascade of things going wrong. I don't know in my history of like playing at RIT, I don't know if I've encountered sort of a game design that led to that eventuality. And I don't know, Jonathan, what what do you think could have sort of had us rethink that mission and and how that went? Um, I mean, so we we also had a different mission proposal that was rejected for being too complex. And I do 
genuinely think that the way that that initial mission proposal worked would have significantly decreased the amount of people all going one place at the same time, human and zombie. But we didn't get to see it played out, so we don't. I I can't definitively say whether that's the case. We can only work on what mm-hmm. we actually saw happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There were a lot of issues, and day one of End War really hammered home where, like, where we shouldn't put objectives. And a lot of missions three and four, we didn't need to change just because of the way that they were designed. Kind of mitigated that already. Like we were able fundamentally to... have everybody concentrating in one location, right? But even then, we were able to after mission two when we had as much time as we wanted. I remember you and I stayed very late in the um, in the stuff room. We're also staging our moderators and just looked through every objective location for the next day and said, "Is this okay? Yes, no. What are the issues that could possibly come up here?" Um, That's really good to hear because I think a lot of players, your average players, that's kind of what we wanted to have you guys talk about with this one was they're not going to see that unless it gets put out there that like, hey, there was a realization of like, oh, crap, that wasn't good. Let's look through everything we have left and try to make it better because inevitably mistakes will happen. And if you guys are owning up to it, you're like, yeah, we ended up picking a bad location and it shouldn't have happened. And I applaud you guys for just coming out to say that. Um, you know, I think at least on the player side, we were getting very frustrated from some things that were not really necessary. Um, a, a certain moderator that has been well known by the indoor community at this point was laying into the players, getting them all riled up and angry. And then you hit that final stand, not a, not the best location, and tempers are up, players are getting frustrated, people are making dumb calls that they wouldn't normally make, and it all just kind of steamrolled together um, into a bad yeah. situation. But you guys did what you ha- what you could do, which was take a step back, put the time in, and look and make sure the rest of the game went better. Which So, you know, kudos to that. I will say, from a game design point of view, that I got a little plus or frustrated. Like the only part of the game itself that frustrated me was when we got there and it was queuing up again. And we had just yeah. gone through that with mission one, which we did not like. And it's like, oh, now you get to queue up again. And I personally felt that we got moved into an unfair location surrounded by zombies with no real readjustment on the zombie side, if, if that makes sense. Like, I felt like the humans got readjusted, but the zombies didn't. And then it just became a lot of problems that, like like I said, we'll get into with our recap episode. We probably hit this one enough. Yeah, I I was going to say. One of the bad assumptions that we on the RIT team made going into things is in our regular games, we are much more used to seeing small human squads. We, We have like five or six or seven groups of humans going around places. Um, rather than the, the what happens at End War due to a variety of factors, you know, new players, unfamiliar campus, huge horde respawning in waves, you end up with a huge human column all clumped together, and then, you know, you have a couple satellite groups. But it's mostly concentrated in that one column. And consequently, the zombies are going to do the same. Right. Like there's, if there's no other humans out to hunt, yeah, all the zombies group up, and then you have right. one big Thunderdome rolling across campus, which is... <laughs> yeah. Like, per John's point, 
like pretty uncommon at RIT, at least in the in, in the styles of games that we're able to run, unless we've explicitly designed for them, right? I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. The zombies well, will follow the humans. It's also worth mentioning, this is another point where we're unfamiliar with the rule set and our game design is impacted by it. So for our games, we have a set stun timer and then a secondary shorter bandana timer. During that time, zombies are active players and they can be restunned. But they cannot tag. Yeah, but they cannot tag. So okay. it is in the zombies' best interest to back away out of range of the humans. And that also buys you a lot with sort of the feels bad, like, oh, a zombie respawned right next to me sort of thing. Which shouldn't be happening no matter the rule set. Like yeah. That, yeah. It, but that's it, another It shouldn't that's... be happening no matter the rule set. And we don't have a minimum spawn distance at RIT because if a zombie respawns right next to you, they can't do anything to you, you have and you just bounce a sock off of them. Nice. Kind of a self-reinforcing. Even if they yeah. respawn 20 feet away or 30 feet away, you just lob a dart at them, and you right. can right. do horde management gradually. That is a very um, interesting mechanic that it's, I'm not, have not heard that type of respawn, and it sounds I, like it works really well for you it does it also encourages zombie groups to go find other groups of humans as well in the meantime as you you tend to have that you know, kind of horde breakup you know happen more frequently you know with the exception of like boomer cones and whatnot right because those circumvent the timer but if you have a group of zombies that get stunned hunting a group of humans they've got a couple minutes to go walk around and find another group of humans so yeah. you end up having a lot of cross-pollination between different groups of players uh, interacting mostly positively because you're going to have you know maybe a tag here, a few stuns there, and those those same groups are going to keep moving and keep having action throughout the night of their own yeah. volition just because they want to do more stuff. Gotcha. Right, and Endwar's stun mechanics are built to encourage a different style of gameplay, and that's not fundamentally bad, I want to be clear. It's not, oh, Endwar bad. No, it's Endwar different, and it's, that's okay. It's... It's hard just, to adjust for if you're not it's used to that. It's very hard. And I totally get that. Well, let's let's fast forward to the next day. So you guys take a moment. You double check everything. We all wake up after, you know, maybe Drinking three hours of sleep. Too. Yeah, hungover, <laughs> just ready to do it. Now, at this point, I am a zombie. So I don't know what's going on in the missions. Uh, so let's, uh, Eric, do you want to talk about mission three from the human side? Dude, you were so drunk, you don't remember. I was just, I, I, yeah. I remember this. You were, yeah, so I'm a zombie too by this point. Are you? Um, yes, I am a zombie. Yeah, we Never mind. Lot, we, talked a lot of, we talked a lot about it. Oh, um, well, Tim should tell us then, because I totally forgot that you were Yeah, you definitely don't remember. So, <laughs> mission three was another jaunt around campus to col- uh, collect, you know, MacGuffins. Because you know, mission, mission one, we had to get the the cards punched mission two we had to collect the symbols this mission we were doing mini games to collect colored stamps um and there were various different mini games around campus that um if you participate trying to repair the spaceship right story-wise yeah you're trying to scavenge parts to call in uh call in uh evac so now there we were told if we collected so many stamps then we would be safe and it was a each person had to collect the stamp individually, um, but as long as you were participating in some way in the um, the mini game, whether it was just defending the people actually carrying the water balloon with the sticks or, or whatever the various mini games were, you got a stamp. Correct. 
And then at some point we heard that if you collected four stamps, and there were six different mini games around campus, at some point we heard that if you collected four stamps, that you were safe. And then other people were saying it was six stamps. And then there was a large group of humans that were just like, well, okay, if we make it to the end of the mission, we're safe too. So let's just pick a spot that's easily defendable. And that's what a lot of people were doing for a large chunk of this mission. Um, The one that we spent a lot of time at was uh, Spam was out there running it. And I don't remember who else was. That was Jake. Jake. Another one of the End War team. Yeah, and so that was the water balloon mission, if I remember correctly. Um, And there was a large, large group of humans that uh, just kind of camped out there. Um, We had a little bit of uh, intrusion from zombies um, because there there was a a path that came through the woods out into that Mm -hmm. area, and then the bike path. Yeah, and then you could also like come up and over the hill. Uh, So we did get a little bit of incursion, but uh, for the most part, we kind of just camped out there. Um, We did end up with, I think I had three stamps total um but i know there were some that that did do all six so yeah the the intended mission design effect well actually hang on ryan do you want to talk about the communication struggles we were dealing with so yeah i mean i if we're able to go into our side of things a little bit i I had a couple points i was gonna talk about segueing into mission three here so some of the challenges we addressed kind of in the room but behind the curtain was uh, first and foremost there wasn't much of a curtain typically at rit games what we would do is we will reserve ourselves a room for the week and we will sequester that somewhere far across campus from anything that's happening or tucked in a basement somewhere such that we can leave uh, props and notes on a whiteboard and collect ourselves in between missions and, and kind of have that backstage kind of behind the curtain area to, to produce the game from. Now, just because of how things worked out logistically and some confusion with room reservations and, and kind of hurried prep going into the event, uh, we ended up uh, sharing a room with the players for the for the duration of End War which I actually kind of enjoyed an aspect of that, which is getting to see everybody come in and hear some of the conversation. But whenever whenever we needed to you know, kind of have a discussion about how to change things, which happened on the fly several times, um, we had to either do that you know, kind of like in a side hallway or between each other, like as we were walking around. And we didn't really have a space to sit down and plan things out as, as nicely as we would have you know, preferred. Um, just to clarify, we did have three other auditoriums reserved back because we reserved them back when we were thinking, oh, we're just going to have to figure out a way to do four simultaneous live briefings and get everyone the same information. That That's why we ended up going with videos, by the way, is because none of us wanted to try and figure out how to get four simultaneous live briefings done and get everyone the same information. But anyway, we still had those rooms reserved. Like, we didn't cancel the reservation. Um, it was just a call that was made early on there's one stuff room. We're just going to use it so that reason. There's something along the lines of we are going to be more able to um, supervise the stuff that's left here if we are also using it as a moderator room, which like to some extent makes sense. But like also this is the sort of thing where you want some privacy with. Um, so it was an interesting call. We ended up using the uh, side exit hallway a bunch to stage props and figure out (laughs) totally rewrite mission five but yeah i think what you guys were talking about a bit was there was a lot of confusion about you know what is the actual mission what's going on and i think this is another point where our our game design process diverges from what we used here and what end war usually does so and how 
missions are communicated to players. So for our invitationals, we will have everybody in the same room. We'll throw the, the mission bullet points. We'll have like a flavor slide and then we'll have bullet points of what the actual mission is. We'll throw that on the screen. We go through it. We ask if there's any questions and then we run out and, and run the game. Now, see, that's that's very interesting because until this year, that's what NWAR did as well. Mm-hmm. Now, like in 18, it was all video based. Like there was like a intro for flavor, but then there were like slides with bullet points fully explaining game mechanics. And then there was a moderator in the room um, mm-hmm. to kind of answer questions if they came up. Yeah, so I, I touched on this kind of briefly was the room that ended up being the stuff room, that large auditorium in Gosnell, is the largest academic lecture hall on campus. The next largest space is Ingle Auditorium, which could have squeezed in the player base, but we would have been breaking fire code by about 50 people. Or the next largest option that's indoors out of the heat would have been Gordon Fieldhouse, which we would have had to pay over $1,000 to rent for another day. Mm-hmm. And so... Because the Gordon Fieldhouse is kind of like the only indoor venue that can fit everyone, that and the largest free venue is approximately 300 people, and we were planning for potentially up to 800 based on Facebook responses of, I'm interested in this. We ended up having to reserve the four largest lecture halls on campus in order to guarantee to be able to fit everyone. And what that means is if you want to do in-person briefings with that, You have to figure out how you're going to give the exact same information across potentially up to four rooms, getting the exact same information to all rooms, releasing everyone on time. And so it was determined the videos were kind of thrown together somewhat last minute, but they were most likely a better option than trying to do simultaneous in person. Mm -hmm. But there's another point for this, which is how does that you know, how does that actually get to players? And the solution that we had that was decided on was putting it on Facebook. And that was, I think in hindsight, what we could have done, like without basically any muss or fuss is just like, you know, just like we'd have to get somebody who who's better at running the site than us. But what we could have done is put those videos on our website, hvz.rat.edu. And had it permanently posted there with a full, you know, mission text. Because, you know, in our in our week-long games, we give players the mission text and only the mission text. And we instruct them, we, and we are so confident and we put so much effort into that mission text that if players come up and ask, hey, are you this mod that I give the MacGuffin to? And if it's clear that they haven't read the mission text, you say, have you read the mission text? It has all of the information you could possibly want. Not all you could possibly want. All that the game designers want you to have. Yeah. And to be clear, that phrase, have you read the mission text, that is said to the point where it's become somewhat of an in-joke for you know the RIT, HVZ population. You know, players will say yeah. it to each other, right? Like that, that is something that is, is so commonly said because most frequently the problem can just be solved by having the player reread the mission text. Mm-hmm. And that... Like, I'm not really sure that was even an option for people coming to End War. So the, the mission texts were in the Facebook posts, but yeah. a lot of people were having a lot of trouble finding the Facebook posts. Yeah, yeah, Facebook's an interesting call. Um, I, I noticed on the feedback forums they've already sent out that it's sounding like they 
are considering a website. I'm kind of wondering if they got that idea from you guys, because it sounds like it works well for you. And a lot of people were uh, angry that they had to get Facebook for mission briefings and stuff to see the video. So I think that's a good call. Well, let's keep the show rolling because we have been talking a long time and uh, definitely want to make sure we get the last bit of this in. So we have communication issues going on. Like you guys said, it's leading to some confusion about how many stamps do we need? How many places do we need to go? And all that. Did I miss it? Sorry to interrupt, Alex. What was the target stamp value? There wasn't a set win condition for the humans for Mission 3. You know, obviously, you want to get all the stamps. I think there were six, but... Okay, so let me explain the the original idea of the mission, because this one was very, very closely derived from one of our most popular mission types as of late which we call Zombies Cause a Ruckus. <laughs> so the, the way that it happens in our week-longs, and the implementation for End War was a little funky, but the, the way that it goes ideally is you have a bunch of tasks that humans have to do, and our missions for our week-longs don't have win states. Uh, we just allow you to do the objective over and over and over, and the more times you do the objective, the better. Okay. Or for zombies, the fewer times the humans are able to complete the objective, or the more times zombies are able to complete their own objective, the better. Whatever it is, humans want to do the tasks because if they do the tasks more, they get a reward later in the week. Now, the tasks are similarly silly things. Uh, we came up with a huge list of potential activities and narrowed it down to ones that we could pretty easily Slap a sci-fi skin onto. So, you know, transferring the reactor coolant water from one pool to another using these itty-bitty buckets, which I think is hilarious and I very much want to do in one of our week ones. But anyway, the other key thing, though, right, I haven't said anything yet about the zombies. And what the zombies have is a ZVIP. And the ZVIP leads them around and memes on all of the humans. They have to meme at each of the objective points for a certain amount of time, and once they do, if they, you know, do uninterrupted memory, then the objective either becomes hostile to humans for a short time, or just becomes undoable for a short time. Hmm. And usually there's something about if the humans hit the ZVIP a certain number of times, they get a bonus. There's a lot of layers of rewards and bonuses going on in our week-longs. Um, I think it's very fun. Other players think John, just make it simple. But we've gotten really good feedback about having those layers of rewards, so we keep doing them. Was but there anyway, a reward for this? So that's the problem, is we designed the mission and did not have time to figure out what the hell the reward would be. Because uh -huh. usually the... Uh, oh gosh, let me pull up our archive. Because we have our mission archive. I threw it in the text chat. Um, hvz.rit.edu slash archive. Um, and it was very similar to this, and it, but the bonuses will say, you know, um, if it's 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 a mission specific thing, or uh, in two days, or you'll get be uh, extra items, okay. or you'll get them for cheaper, or yeah. what have you. Right? Okay. Um, you sense. know, just little things that make the mission easier, hard, easier for your team, or harder for the other team. Yeah, and we've we've seen missions of different invites that have that. The the better you do at something, the better you know you'll get a certain benefit down the road um so that makes sense so for the scope of this one that wasn't part of the plan to have a right so just it was get it was trying to do objectives but it was it sounds like the it was a do as many as you can um mm -hmm. but there's not there wasn't like a, a trigger at doing each objective 10 times or something like that 
Yeah, we planned most of this game in about two months. Compared to the about six months that we spend on our week-longs, that is nothing. So things were pretty frantic, and we, we remembered, you know, this is what people do, and we were not able to implement, here's why they do it. Right, I think that also pops up in the next mission. And, and you know, yes. it's okay, you need, you need to give people a reason to go out and be engaged in the game. So, like, totally get it. Um, but I think there was a sequence in the next mission, uh, which I'm not sure I'd love to ask you if that did result in a reward one way or the other. But let's, let's hop into mission four. I'd actually like to take one more quick second, just before we get too far away from mission three. I was uh, sure. looking forward to talking about one major positive that I wanted to just commend our mods on. Um, now, the, the the process that we would typically use uh, setting up to run into a mission in a week-long game is the admins, most notably the VPs, have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen that night. They've designed the mission, they've run through what's possible, they've run through what issues might be uh, found, and have done their best at that point to mitigate all of those things. The mods, walking into a night mission in the you know hour or two of prep you get ahead of time, know none of this. The mods for a standard night mission come in basically with the expectation that they're going to receive uh, some amount of instruction, and then they're going to be left with their own devices. And that's one of the things that we're really lucky that we can count on with the, the mod team here, is that everybody can pretty much pick that up and run with it. And uh, that's one of the things that, as a general rule, but mostly in Mission 3, our, our mods did a phenomenal job basically taking what was handed to them in, in the form of a cheat sheet and some brief verbal instruction from myself and, and the rest of these guys here. And then basically being told to fill in the gaps. Uh, so all of the, the moderators at the Objectives in Mission 3 uh, were given a, uh, an outline of the mechanics and basically told, hey, add some RP, right? Make it fun for the players, engage with them. And uh, I like to think that the feedback that we received on that thus far was that Mission 3, a lot of people had some of the most fun, at least you know, from the feedback that I got, uh, you know, engaging with the, the story elements and the, and the R-play, uh, RP uh, factor because you're able to sit there and chat with somebody. You're able to sit there and do a little mini game. Uh, but totally that's agree. that's all in the mods. It was very very fun to be. A, I was a zombie at that point. Very fun to watch it happen. Very fun to talk to Bull. I think it, there was a there was general happiness. Like everybody was really enjoying that that day. The beginning. Yeah, of the day. I I think with the kind of ending on a sour note the night before, it was a really good bounce back. And it's interesting to hear that your mods had so little prep. You know, ultimately, and we're kind of just winging it, for lack of a better term, <laughs> because mission three is where I started hearing a lot of praise, specifically for the RIT mods. Like people, I have heard nothing mod. but praise for our yeah. RIT mods. And I mean, and me and me encountering that as the zombie, I was one of those saying, "Oh, they, yeah, these mods." I think Kyle was the one who I spent the most time with, and I was just like, yeah. "This guy's, this guy's fantastic. He's just answering all my questions. Yeah, He's helping me out around great. campus." So it's really interesting that your mods really were kind of like, okay, here you go. Go make it fun. And they, they delivered. So kudos to the RIT mods. That was That's great to hear. Yeah, if you remember when we talked at FoamCon, like Liam and I were gushing about our moderator team. And we, we really saw that come through in Mission 3. Yeah. So Eric, you were going to take us into Mission 4, I believe, right? Oh, I was dead. No. I mean, I, I think by Mission 4, we may have all <laughs> sure. been dead. Yeah. Um, and, no. and were you dead by this point you and adam or was it mission four when that happened so that was mission four because i was the mod yeah. who said so <laughs> um all right so so mission four um i i know that i remember the broad strokes i think that 
I was I can tell you that I was I was confused about what happened. I think there was some on the fly adjustments in this one. Ryan, do you want to do you want to take us through this one a little bit if the, the RIT team wants to step through it? Sure. So I can I can share the original vision for the mission and then I can share uh, yeah, where I do. think some oh, of Oh yeah, those... cuz you you were involved in like the original like prototype of this as a midday. Yes. So we have found uh, recently in our own games that we can make use of our local witch mechanic to uh, to allow players to lure our NPCs around the campus. And uh, the feedback that we've received locally on that is that that is an incredibly fun way to play the game. Uh, is basically having a functionally immune, but you know, like you know, Style. In, like inevitable kind of slow walk entity that's coming at you, and you need to get them from point A to point B. We looked at scaling this up for the end war game and we arrived with the security drones uh, security drones being kind of a, a mesh between the rit witch mechanic and some some balancing ideas from the end war team the original idea for how this mission was supposed to work was going to be the humans would go around campus and locate the security drones which would be hostile at that point with the with the red string lights they would need to lure them uh to a second area second location and reprogram them to be on the human side and then at that point they would flip and be on blue string lights to signify their allegiance and at that point they would no longer be aggressive and it would flip into a standard escort mission some of the issues we had with the communication led players to believe that they were either supposed to uh, find the, the tnt themselves to, to be used in reprogramming or that that was going to be hidden somewhere i heard a lot of different things from players who were very confused on that point what was originally supposed to happen was that they would get lured to a central location, pick up the TNT, then brought back elsewhere to sabotage the salesman's plans. And um, unfortunately, the, that first phase really never got off the ground uh, when that went to practice. So we, uh, we did what we could to try and accelerate through uh, and kind of skip over that. But by that point, we had a lot of tags and we had a lot of confusion. And the human groups that were still present on campus... Um, I, I can't necessarily disagree with the decision, chose to, to opt into skipping the mission objective in favor of uh, making it to the final mission. Yeah, I would say so. So I was a tank for the whole day, and I was guarding an objective just southwest of Finiquad. I think that's the grassy knoll. And the zombies were getting very smart, and we were playing area denial. Instead of following the humans, a lot of the zombies were finding the objectives and guarding them, essentially. And we saw bunches of humans, and they always ran away. Yeah. They, they just wouldn't push us. The one group that actually pushed got the moderator to follow them about halfway back, and then someone accidentally shot the moderator and stunned them. And the humans panicked and ran away and abandoned it. <laughs> so it was one of those where, like, the players were kind of evolving how they played. The humans were getting a little skittish. They knew their numbers were going down. The zombies were getting a little more tactile and let's not hoard up as much and let's deny them what they need. And it made for an interesting game. I know, like, mechanically, gameplay-wise, it didn't really go anywhere. But I felt it was probably the most like strategic point of the game where like the zombies and I know the zombies had comms going for some groups and uh, it was getting really, really intense as far as like, like the zombies, we're not going to let the humans win. <laughs> yeah, no, and I was I was yeah. fortunate enough to be stationed in Infinity Quad there in the center and I was, I was able to hear a lot of that conversation go down with the zombies and you know, to their credit, there's something to be said for solid organization on the zombie side. Not to detract at all from the success of the zombies. You know, we we had a lot of very strong groups moving around, a lot of very effective comms. That is definitely to be acknowledged from the player side, in addition to any failings of communication from our side. 
Yeah, I, I heard from the UMBC players that most of them were zombies by that point, and they had set up a very thorough zombie comms network, which was very, very cool to see in action. And um, damn you, UMBC, breaking my game balance. <laughs> but yeah, that was, you know, it was an interesting one because it's, it kind of like not everything was going right on missions three and four yet most people were enjoying themselves i would say it was good hvc you know there was there wasn't a lot of frustration at least that i was seeing like there had been on day one even though the missions just weren't working out for the humans poor humans (laughs) yeah on a basic level there was action everywhere to be seen it wasn't boring like I think that if you've played some HVZs before, you know, occasionally you'll, you'll get some really boring mission. And there was always action to be found. Yeah. And then we, so the humans were denied any, I don't think they got a single drone. They tried. No. They tried a few times. They came, they came real close. There were some really solid attempts. Bless them, they tried. <laughs> there, there was a, a valiant um, effort by one of the local groups um so at that point at that point you know halfway through the mission we were you know us mods were talking on the radio i was a i was a drone um we had set spawn locations that you know we spawned in we would return to um if we got escorted to infinity quad then we needed to be escorted back to our spawn location so i started underneath the quarter mile bridge which is a landmark that RIT people understand. And as the mission progressed, we were talking on radios and we, we eventually said, all right, bring in your spawn locations. Let's make this a little bit easier for the humans. They're struggling with this. And I eventually moved closer and closer to Infinity Quad. And what ended up happening was I, I got picked up by First, a solo human, which was which was fantastic. It was, I believe, he goes by Boomco Jack from New Paltz, and he had a three-shot Springer like front-loading blaster. I was like, dude, all right, I'm not gonna go aggro on you. Let's see how far you can get. We got up till Kodak Quad, which is probably 200 feet away from the final destination. We're hiding hiding in some bushes. We eventually got seen, and he doped right out of there. Had a good run got tagged. It was great to see. He's, he was a good sport about it. And I rotated up to another part of campus, which is closer than my original spawn location. I got picked up by RFDL, and they had probably five people um, packing some, some considerable firepower. They brought me down a ramp towards Infinity Quad and took on basically all of the zombies that got distracted and got their attention drawn to that group. And my friend Alex with his his staff, he he's got this Stargate proton pack sort of thing. They were able to work their way down basically to the bottom of the ramp that joins on Infinity Quad. And then they all got tagged, but that was close enough for me. I, I switched my lights over to blue and waited for the humans that never came. And if anybody from RFDL or the local area is listening, go buy Alex a beer for that final stand because I watched over Liam's shoulder on that. That was it was fantastic. I couldn't have written a better ending. But when they picked me up, they were debating whether to bring me like to the far outside region of campus or make the the suicide rush to um, Infinity Quad. And I was like, you know what? I think we should go to Infinity Quad. And they were like, yep, it's it's about time to play zombie. So that was fun. So mission four ends with a. Wait, well, at this point, 
So there was an intermediate step. I think that there was a mod call to oh, you're right, yeah. to bring all the drones in because there was a hilarious moment where the humans had a drone and had all the zombies tagged out. They accidentally shot the drone on the path to Infinity Quad and they were so close. And they just noped out and they left the drone. And after that, the drone reset, stayed there for a while. And then just something happened where they walked back to Infinity Quad, to the main staging area. And I was trying to figure out what happened. It seemed like there was a call to bring was, all the drones in. Yeah, the mod that was there kind of was like, yeah, we're making it a little easier. And they picked up the dynamite and were just waiting in, at the edges of Infinity Quad for like any humans. But then all the zombies were then just massing around Infinity Quad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think a human group did push in and got two drones with them and made it quite a distance away. I think it was, you know, if you're looking at the map to campus, it was down near um, the Global Village Plaza where they finally stopped the drone and had to come back. Or maybe not quite that far, but they made it yeah. quite a distance away. And then the zombie presence got too much and the humans went to survival mode and just booked it. And that was pretty much the end of mission four, I believe, was just humans going into survival mode, hunkering yeah. down. I know there were zombies hunting small groups of you know small bands or lone humans they had seen. I think you know some of our group had stories about trying to find someone hidden in a our transformers oh yeah that we'll save that one that was brave yeah. and i well that's a good one for later yeah that was a very fun so, story so we we go on there's a break and it's it's time for final stand and final stand you guys had to rewrite because at that yeah. point st stuff had changed there were so few humans and one of the biggest concerns for us was we really really didn't want the entire horde charging like a squad of humans on concrete. Basically spawn camping the humans at the beginning of the mission in the middle yeah, of the Yeah, we didn't want them getting spawn camped because we wanted the mission to actually like be remotely doable. But from a safety perspective, we didn't want people to get trampled on concrete. That's a good thing not to want. <laughs> yeah, we, we generally aspire to avoid that. And we mostly succeeded. But yeah, Liam, I think you were perhaps like the most involved with rewriting yeah, that because I yeah. showed up late to the rewrite session. Yeah, so mission five is more or less straight out of, it's a very RIT extraction style final mission where the goal of the humans is to get to the extraction bunkers, which are cordoned off, like roped off areas with one end open. Humans have to run through them without being tagged, and then they're safe. In order to open the bunkers, they have to complete some intermediate objective that lets them do that. In this case, it was bringing the security drones, which they definitely totally had reprogrammed in the last <laughs> mission. Um, it was the B team. The B yeah. team managed to get a couple of them done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the B team. Bring those reprogrammed drones to bonk the salesman. Once the salesman goes down, then the bunkers open. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's sort of generally how it played out, but the backend mod version of it changed quite a bit. So initially we were having those security drones spawn in their original location. So far away from Infinity Quad, um, humans would have to independently go pick them up, escort them to the salesman. And this would be a traditional escort, not a lure, because remember, these are reprogrammed. Yeah, traditional escort. Slow shuffling mod that makes the humans want to scream. 
Yeah. Bonk the salesman X number of times. A salesman would be like a adversarial to the humans, and that would play more into how the mission ran. And ultimately, we were like, you know, there are not enough humans for this to work. We are going to have those security drones spawn with the humans. They're going to help the humans out a little bit. They're going to be human aligned so they can stun zombies, similar to how our witches work. And we're going to have them as that one group go try to bonk the salesman we're going to put the zombies on that location so they do have to push through all the zombies but it's not an initial rush of the two teams colliding against each other and that's what we did and i think generally it worked pretty well from my perspective with heavy asterisks i would say with heavy asterisks like mechanically the core concepts work what was weird for us was being in a position of authority to direct where everybody was going. That was very, very foreign. Yeah. So I ended up being the head zombie mod, which is not a thing that ever exists at RIT. And I was calling shots for the zombies. And I, I was like, all right, I need a group with me. And I need a group with spam. And I need a group with Kevin. Go. Uh, and they listened. And I had a bullhorn. And bullhorns are are helpful for like directing people but like maybe i shouldn't have had a bullhorn directing players because that's not what we're used to yeah it's not what what we're used to it's not how we usually play the game because like i know from talking to you what you were trying to do there Mm -hmm. when when we got pulled and so i don't think we necessarily need to go through that now but we'll bring that up when we do the recap I think the only other peek into the background on that that I wanted to offer before we move off that is uh, I think there was even more confusion on the mod side um, about the explicit location of the salesman during the fight. Oh, God. Yeah, I couldn't pick him out. Yeah. I think everything else went exactly according to plan, and it went about as well as it could have. But take a moment and imagine for me how how much quicker that might have been over with or might have continued on to the second location for the fight had you know one of the first two or three charges worked for the humans mm-hmm. and i think i think that a big factor in that uh and, and something to just you know kind of right into stone if you will uh for game design moving forward at least for us is is, is maintaining a, a static boss fight location um because both for the players and for the mods ourselves like we were there right next to you guys as zombies as humans we couldn't see through the crowd we couldn't find the seals and the, the remaining couple of players are asking us you know hey where are we going and we get to the location, and he'd be gone. <laughs> be sitting there scratching our heads. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing was, uh, I've heard. I think it's mostly from one person, and they've just been complaining a lot. Uh, but it, I definitely have heard it from multiple people. Why did you put the final showdown in a place where you're br- uh, surrounded by road on three sides? And the answer was because we've done it before, and it hasn't been a problem. Yeah, I had no issues with that location as long as, you know, it was being made clear. Like, you touch concrete, you're dead. <laughs> and I think maybe that was just a, a moment of loss. We straight up didn't think to even go that far because we've, like, even in our last week long, one of our key locations for our final mission was that exact field. I think one of the reasons why it's worked for us is we have a very clear direction of travel for players. And it's from the building side of campus to that field and it in the context of a bunker run. So they're coming from one direction. They're trying to get in from one direction. They're not um, inclined to strafe or like maneuver or like deviate out of the field. And that ended up happening with our game. 
Yeah, that that was something that we just didn't have time to predict might happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say that location was a hell of a lot better than Infinity Quad, which is where mm-hmm. it was initially going to be. And Ooh, as mentioned, yeah. horde, rush, concrete, bad. Yeah, um, I, I thought that initial field was great. I'll be at set some hard borders with all the players so that they know because you're any big invite, you're going to have people run into roads, even though everyone says don't play in traffic, don't run in roads. You'll have people yeah. do it, but well, don't play um, in traffic. There's no cars around. Well, then that's where they start being like, oh, it was fine. No, you're still on the road. Don't go in the road. Yeah. Except for when the car showed up and we had to pull a game hold. And nobody likes that. Exactly. And my other thing, thinking back on that mission, was that the final extraction point was quite a distance away from that field. And I think this comes back to something, wrapping it back into the beginning. Your club has different expectations than traditional end war, which is based on a lot of Ohio play, which is in your club, humans are expected to be able to survive if they, at least if some amount. Smart. Yeah. Whereas in Ohio, it's almost always a, there is a win condition. You're probably not going to get it. And I think because of that, a lot of people, myself included, were not expecting Final Stand mission to stretch as much territory as it was as it ended up. I kind of thought it would all take place in that final field once we got there. Yeah. Right there. So, when, I guess that first field, I should say, not the final field. Right, right, right. So, yeah, basically part of the reason that it was so stretched out was because we had to figure out, okay, final bunker run. We want the horde in between the humans and the bunker. Where can we fit this many people on grass? Because bunker runs are chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and that field where the bunkers were, where the closing ceremony was, is basically the only grassy field large enough for the entire player base to be playing, full full tilt playing, um, and be on grass and spread out. And the other thing was we wanted the bunkers themselves to be spread out so that the horde would have to choose do we want to defend one really hard or do we want to split our forces or what? And so that was also like the only feasible space for us to put that. And um, what ended up happening was a couple RIT players did some number crunching and decided that that field was the only place we could possibly do this. And so right at mission start, they booked it over there and hid in a bush and it paid off. Well, that's, uh, good to, that's good to know because I did, know there was a lot did of some, confusion. He did some... He and the other four guys did some real smart number crunching and uh, played really stealthy. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, they, they were able to slip into the bunker. And like I said, I'm glad you brought that up and explained that because I don't know if people have heard that that's finally what happened because the game ended very abruptly after that. Like it was just, yeah, okay, um, final message. They didn't do a zombie prayer. All right, go get your challenge coins. You know, peace out. There was a lot, I, all the players saying that we were like, well, how did those guys survive? It never got explained. So I'm glad you guys brought that up. Yeah, they did the tried and tested tactic of run really fast, hide in a bush, um, which when the objective is get into the bunker, yeah, I mean, if you're confident that other people are going to be able to do the objective without you, sure, play it risky yeah. like that. And I think a lot of the like background sort of cultural parts of End War is something that was lost on the RIT crew. Um, like most of... Even just bringing up like the zombie prayer, right? Like n- not that that's necessarily a mechanic. Right. Yeah, like that's not a thing here. And in the past week, 
heard that mention and I just wasn't able to understand like what it is. And, and I get that it's like a, I think it's a really cool sort of like rallying moment, but it wasn't discussed in planning meetings. It wasn't coordinated to any extent that we were aware of. So we were running like we were planning our games. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why that didn't happen. You know, there was, there was weird sort of like pulling uh, zombies off to be a blocking force. And then the salesman went down and then all of the other humans went down as well. And that from a game design perspective, we were expecting like a long running retreat from the human. We were hoping for a protracted fight across campus. What we ended up with was some clumsy, no criticism there, Liam, but like some clumsy usage of the zombie mod mechanic is something that we just aren't comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you're on the fly like that, trying to pull groups so that they are able to have fun and play a role instead of just being part of a massive horde and it didn't pan out. Like it happens. And I don't think anyone holds that against you, but I think having stated that and we'll, I'll go over that. And when we do our personal recap so that anyone who was with that group knows what was going on, you know, I have no problems with you making that call. I think moving zombie players for the benefit of the mission and honestly trying to give them more fun is a good thing. Um, even if it doesn't always pan out, uh, so let's let's move on. Let me ask you at the end there, though. So no one won because the salesman was not brought to the right location. Is that right? It was a no. This the salesman was bonked. Uh, yeah. We had it was Jesse, one of our mods, and me. We had two humans that managed to stick with us right up until we bonked the salesman, um, which was really impressive because the zombies were almost completely stunlocking us right up there. Jesse bonked the salesman, turned around, and saw the two humans getting tagged. And then we bolted off towards the other humans that were at the location with us, just in time to watch them all get tagged. So the uh, the humans managed to hold out about 30 seconds longer than it took to bonk the salesman. Nice. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm really impressed with the, with the humans who managed to last. Like, they were, they were on top of their game. It, it's impressive, because just I remember the number of zombies at that final stand, and it was, it's impressive to last any amount of time, unless you're just straight up running. <laughs> Which one guy tried. I saw one sprinter try to make it, and he got chased down. Well, what about the guys who were just inside the zone? Yeah, they inside were the extraction the bunker? Right, right. So they basically never completed. Well, no, they so, completed the objective because the salesman got killed. They just weren't part of that. It didn't, it didn't oh. matter in terms of the mission that whether you were the people who pushed up to bonk the salesman. It was salesman bonks and extraction bunkers open. And once the bunkers are open, any human player who's still human at the time can. So yeah, so they the they did win end war. So congrats to their strategy, I guess. But yeah, they, uh, yeah. So yeah. they they they're the first surviving members of end war, I suppose. Yeah, yeah was... I, and and I understand exactly how that can leave a bad taste in people's mouths. I know that some people left with a bad taste if those guys didn't even play the objective. And I completely understand where they're coming from, especially now retroactively learning more about like that Ohio HVZ culture of everyone goes down in the final stand. It's such a wonderful catharsis. Yeah. <laughs> right. Everyone and, joins the same team. And so understanding that now, I completely understand how people were Myth. completely bamboozled and very perplexed and somewhat frustrated about it. So uh, there's a chat when did they leave? So we sent word to the bunker mod to open the bunker as soon as the salesman was dead. Yeah, so they split from the human group right at the word go. 
and booked it straight over there. And then the moderators manning the extraction bunkers uh, would not let anyone into the bunkers until they received word that the salesman had indeed been bonked. And so they waited until after the salesman had been bonked to slip in. So did they leave Infinity Quad at like a different direction? Was that what happened? That's got to be what happened. Yeah, because um, the, the there were zombies the right behind y'all pretty much right away. Yeah, the rest so. of the humans ran through us. So that that's going to be a rumor forever because there, there's a separate rumor about that, about how they got into that position, which involved not even attending the initial brief. Oh, no, I, I talked with every single one of them at Infinity uh, Quad. OK, great. OK. Because they were specifically asking if they would be able to nab me and sprint with me to the salesman and speed run the mission. And so we had a little huddle among us moderators and decided that the fastest that we would move on our way over to the salesman would be a brisk walk. Because we didn't want to deal with splitting. Because of the question that was posed by those guys. Yes. <laughs> um, and so they decided, okay, we're not allowed to speed run the mission. We're just going to speed run to where we think extraction is going to be. And gamble that that's where it's going to be because otherwise we're going to have to search all over campus with a whole bunch of zombies so everyone listening let it be known they did live legit it was a gamble for sure because if the salesman had not gone down they would have just been zombie food but they won so kudos to that strategy for paying off that was definitely a big risk yeah and that's good. To, that's good to know. That's good to get the clarification because I definitely think the zombie side ended with a lot of confusion. Like zombies didn't know if the salesman was dead or not, and a lot of that could have been mitigated by a announcement at the end, like someone basically wrapping up the story, saying, "Hey, this oh, is yeah. what happened." And yeah. I think we didn't really get that. Yeah, sorry guys. The ending was kind of a nothing burger. Yeah, yep. not your fault, but it was like, oh, um, see you later. Well, and you know, the thing is, explaining it now, it's a lot better than it appeared. Like, yeah, because right, much... we've had time to figure out how all the pieces slot together. Right. I, I've had time difficult. to poke my friend who extracted and be like, hey. What did you do? How did you get there? <laughs> and, you know, one of our mods has a photo of them hiding in the bushes. We heard um, about that. <laughs> and it's very funny. To back up one step on the, the cultural difference with that, just to lead us back yeah. a bit. Um, you know, anybody listening, you know, open invite, you know, come play our games that it's, it definitely is a cultural difference, especially looking at it with hindsight. You know, I think that both systems are perfectly valid, but one of the things that's most exciting about the RIT games is we frequently are able to kind of hone in right on those single digit, you know, quote unquote winners, right. From the human side, like extractors, whatever term you want to use, you do end up with a pretty neat niche group. Um, of, of players that you will end up recognizing, of names that you'll remember, and anybody who is met with that success in our games has definitely, you know, got a very fun story to tell, you know, from both sides of it, right? And that's one of the things that we try and cultivate, and one of the things that I think we're pretty successful with. Typically, our games do end up with, like, single-digit extractors. Yeah, so let's wrap this up with what went well, and, you know, what didn't go so well that we haven't talked about that maybe you would change in the in a future, either a future End War or a future RIT invite. And I kind of want to, we haven't been really bringing it up because it's a touchy subject, but I, I think it would be remiss if we didn't. I noticed something you wrote that Ray, the mod from Envor, has gotten a lot of flack for 
the way he was addressing the crowds and stuff on the megaphones. We're not going to touch on that. Everyone knows that. But you made a note that you said Ray was a really hard worker from the End War staff. And I kind of wanted you guys to just just mention that briefly, because that seems like something that we could lump into the what went well. Yeah, absolutely. Ray was the only person from the core End War team who showed up to every single planning meeting. He was our closest point of contact. He put so much effort into helping us wrap our heads around what we needed to bear in mind with mission design. He tried his darnest to beat into us exactly how little experience we had with this many players on the field all at once. And sure enough, mission one, we were like, oh, God, you were not kidding. Mm-hmm. And we would not have been able to make what good parts of Endwar there were, which, frankly, I think were a fairly decent amount of good parts. Um, yeah. But they would, would have been that. a lot fewer in number without Ray's help. Yeah. That's good to hear, because there's there's legitimate complaints people have. Like I said, we're not going to go into those. But yeah, like, like, and it's we're aware like of those said. complaints, and yeah. we had discussions internally about what can be improved. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to make a point. It's mirroring indoor itself. You know, the the negative parts of this one have kind of overshadowed the positive parts. But then when you get into the nitty gritty of it, you, the positive parts really start kicking back out. Like talking through this all, I'm remembering a lot of the more fun I had and not as much focusing on the negative. But in the moment, the negatives were so negative that that's all I could fixate on. In the moment, what goes well you don't notice because it went well and you yeah. aren't supposed to notice it. <laughs> what fair. goes poorly is ends up sticking out. That's fair. So let's keep going with that. And that's changed all. Ray did a really good job. Uh, what else went well? If you like, let's say it, each of you pick one thing that you thought went well uh, from about this event. What was, what, what did you like the most that you thought just, that was great. I think we were for, for, for me, I'm going to jump in. I think, being able to show off like our own people, our own club, our own campus, um, all of the things that we're able to do very well. Um, I think we're in full view here. And I think we were able to pull things through, like, you know, mix missions around, like try to balance it as best as possible um, and just show off like good, like, like game, good game design for, for parts that we, we're able to like run how we usually do it. Um, good moderators and like good setup. Um, you know, I my my role as the president. I'm gonna I'm gonna toot my own horn here. My role as the president is setting up with all of the logistics of getting cleared to, to to run the game, getting rooms, getting the um uh getting foamcon foamcon was a lot of logistical work on from from my end and i think that all went really well i'm really happy with how that went nice um i mean liam stole i i was going to be a little bit more specific but liam covered what i was going to say which is i am so so incredibly proud of the moderators in general uh i've heard explicit praise for the rit mods but also like um Mission three, the the water balloon with PVC chopsticks objective that uh, Spam and Jake were running. Um, that's not the location that it was at was not the written location in the mission. And Jake told me it's his first time moderating a huge event like this. But he made what I say is absolutely the right call to move 
the location to a place that was better manageable, uh, easier for him to adjudicate play and to keep play safe. And there were lots and lots of really, really strong moments from our moderators that we would not have been able to put on anywhere near this event without them. Excellent. And I think uh, to, to close out this segment of it, um, as much as I'd also like to talk about, you know, how the games win and whatnot, uh, I, I think John and Liam have done a fantastic job covering that, and I wouldn't really have much more to add other than the fact that I'd like to identify the one the one area that I think mods, players, the N-War team, every single person on the campus um, it was in total lockstep was uh, whenever there was a safety issue, whenever there was a lost player, every single player stopped, listened, took the knee, let us do our jobs. Every single person on that campus worked together to make sure that the issue was resolved. That was for minor and major issues. And I am I, I cannot express how thankful I am that we did not have any issues that were not able to be resolved. Everything was able to be taken care of in a timely manner, in a safe fashion. Everybody was able to get their injuries fixed. I genuinely could not be more happy with that. I mean, obviously, we would always, always like to target fewer injuries and come up with safer ways to do things. And there are there are areas in which we are definitely going to take responsibility for and mitigate moving forward but the issues we did have i think were mitigated you know, in the moment by the very effective response of all people involved you know at the end of the day we are all just trying to have fun we're all just trying to have a game we're trying to run a safe game people are trying to play a safe game everybody wants to go home in one piece and have a fun story to tell and we did we did i think the best job we could in the moment and that's not not just the mods it's the players too and i think everybody did a very good job oh uh one other thing real quick uh, Dart Sweep was fantastic. We got an explicit thank you email from facilities management for how good of a job everyone did working on Dart Sweep. We have never gotten that before. Usually it's a, hey, pick up your darts email. Mm-hmm. Um, so an explicit thank you, we were completely not expecting, and that was fantastic. Thank you to everyone who helped with Dart Sweep. That was That's so good. Great to hear, because Dart Sweep can be a pain to get people to do. Yes. For sure. Um, and so I don't really want to end on a what went not so well. So let's actually kind of wrap this up with one last little thing. What are you guys going to take away from this? What What is something that either because it didn't go well or because it went so well that you might be incorporating into the future of HVZ, whether that's as game designers or as even just players in future HVZs? Uh, one thing that I want to include is um some of the adopting some of the specials so the uh the security drones i think were really fun we we mentioned earlier rt doesn't have pool noodle or shield zombies and i think we we would need to once again check with rt global risk management about whether we can do this thing in regular games but if we can oh man that would be so fun and open up so many cool mission shenanigans um, and the other thing is end war tanks. We would obviously need to rename them because we already have tanks that everyone's used to. But I've heard a lot of feedback that the tanks were fantastic for players who were struggling with mobility or keeping up their energy during the heat. And that's something that we don't have right now at RIT. Like the, the closest thing we have is a zombie that stands in place and can slowly revive other zombies. But like the tanks give another option that's much less limited that opens up accessibility of the game. And that is stellar. And that's actually, I believe where the Ohio tank was invented was if I'm not mistaken, a player had gotten injured or had surgery and could only walk, but one to play. And so they invented a special and the speed of the tank was how fast he could walk. 
Uh, and so that's where it came from was to, to allow a player with limited mobility to still play. Um, so it, it's a good thing to hear. I think, and we always love incorporating those tanks. You saw how we played them. They're probably, oh, it was, our, they're probably that was our a favorite presence. specials. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you guys really brought it to life and uh, so happy that we have players that we can trust, players that we know are also game runners, people that can show up and have a good time and help others have a good time too. And that's part of what makes the game run. For sure. Um, there oh, was, you wanted to do a question from the listener. We did want to do a question from the listener. Tim, have you picked one out? Most of what's in here is, uh, already kind of been addressed to some degree or another. But what I did want to ask, uh, this question was posed by Nerf Mafia. Any advice you would give to a club looking to host End War in the future? And do you similarly plan to put together something about it to leave your club for the future covering the lessons you learned so they can be prepared if down the road RIT ever was approached again? Mm-hmm. Do it in more right. than two months. Yeah. Um, okay, now now to actual answers, um, because I don't think the two months is ever going to come up again. That was kind of a funky case because bureaucracy um, and weird things going on but yeah liam you had thoughts that i could yeah um i think what i would say is um for us we weren't able to run it in june because a lot of the local high schools use the uh use the same space that we would we were trying to get for FOMCON. We we're trying to get they they would run graduations in um second largest event the, space in rochester yeah yeah oh. so you know, be conscious of the rest of the world's like activity schedules. Um, because I didn't know about that. And that sort of, we were trying to get it run in June and then we weren't able to do that. And I think for future events, having, um, FoamCon at the same location as and war, that's a good play. And it's just something to consider. Other things is get, get in contact with us. Um, like we're, I think we're, we should probably be more visible on if you can, if you're just trying to like Google us, but um, we've got thoughts on how it went and how you can run it better in the future. Um, I think a lot of it boils down to not having a lot of support and not a lot of logistics or manpower from Drax crew, uh, the end war crew. Um, like as we were saying, Ray was our main guy um, for end war and he did a ton of work but we needed more people from them to do everything we wanted to do and i know and like there's other parts of this so like foamcon spam was on that uh i should mention him he he did a lot of work to make every spam was all the uh yeah to make all of the like vendor logistics happen but there's just so much more that needs to go into this sort of thing than what we were sort of given access to and i think like drax crew felt that and it bit them to some extent and to any future school or area like looking to host and more it's just it's gonna take a lot of resources a lot of time a lot of manpower and you have to be like really serious about getting that for yourself it starts fast and it only gets faster from there in terms of how much you're working on the thing Mm -hmm. you you have a nice plan for how things are going to go together and you're working as fast as you can on it and things take longer than you planned and now you have less time to do the same amount of stuff and just be aware no matter how good your plan is for your timeline for figuring everything out 
going to go to shit. Uh, that's just the nature of planning big events. It's going to go to shit. And just be aware going in. If you want the event to happen, you need to be able and willing to scale the effort you're putting in. Uh, Brian, do you want to add, add anything to that? Um, I mean, I don't really have anything else meaningful to add. Um, you guys had a lot more of a handle on the beginning stages of this than I did, and I was able to come in at a point where a lot of the legwork had already been done, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, the things that I was responsible for uh, were were being delegated already somewhat. So I'm, I'm I'm grateful to you guys for making that easy on me as much as you were able to, and um, I'm thankful for the work that you guys did and the work, you know, the help that we did get from Drax side. You know, what what we had was you know better than nothing, and um, yeah, I, I I think echoing the manpower complaint is uh, not even complaint, just suggestion. Well, I think that's going to probably probably wrap it up for uh, for this one. It's been a long one. And I just I think from all of us, uh, all of the hosts, the Patreons listeners, we want to just say a big thank you for uh, coming on and just talking to us for, for this. We, I think we got a lot of information out there that wasn't necessarily known to a lot of the player base. Uh, so hopefully this will kind of explain the process, peek behind the curtain a little bit, and yes. let people get a good sense of it. Yeah, there was some great behind-the-scenes info. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I said, thanks for everything. Uh, for Tim, Eric, and myself, uh, Tom and Adam, who couldn't be here with us tonight, uh, thank you, and we will talk to you all again real soon hashtag freestyle bye guys bye <laughs> bye bye, bye. I, I had a whole nother verse done and I was trying to get the whole thing done. <laughs> that would that would have been beautiful. The uh, next verse the next verse doesn't really work if I don't finish the whole thing, but I'll go ahead and share it. I wanna be where the humans are. I wanna see. I wanna see them running. Running away from those what do you call them? Oh, Zeds. <laughs> I was fully expecting you to shout tank right oh, there. Uh, me too. Oh, I me thought too. about it. I was thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, side note, behind the scenes, the four of us who were the security drones made a deal among ourselves that whoever bonked the salesman would get a drink on the other three. Um, Which we uh, did carry out. Uh, uh, you need to let me know how to repay you because I did not participate in paying for said drink. But anyway. That's okay. Jesse got a double margarita. Yeah, I, I wish you luck editing this down. <laughs> it, it may end up as two episodes uh, oh, two. i would not blame you more content terrible oh the horror <laughs>